another edition of the Null Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Carls. It is Friday, November 11th. We are one day away from Florida State kicking it off at Syracuse. It's a chance for the Seminoles to finish ACC play above 500 for the first time since 2016. A lot on the line for Florida State. Uh, and so we thought we'd have Syracuse beat writer Emily Liker join the show before me and Essen break down this matchup, the rest of the season for Florida State, uh, and a little Florida State basketball and, and some soccer as well. So without further ado, here is Emily Liker. Okay, we're now joined by Emily Liker with Syracuse.com. Emily, thanks for, for joining us. And first question, we have to ask it. Uh, maybe, maybe you're going to call it an owie. We don't, we don't know. But uh, Garrett, Garrett Schrader, uh, this coming weekend for, for Syracuse, what are you expecting? I, I know you've kind of assessed it as a, as a lower body injury, but, but what are you kind of expecting from uh, Garrett Schrader? Do you think he'll play this Saturday against Florida State? Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to say because we still haven't heard anything more about his injury this week. Um, Dino Babers had his weekly radio show last night, and sometimes he gives away a little bit more on that than he does directly to local media, but he kept everything under wraps, completely evaded questions about Schrader's health status. Schrader was there, apparently. They referenced that he was at the restaurant where they recorded several times, and wasn't wearing a boot, it sounded like. They made some kind of sly comments about that. So it, it's it's hard to say. The thing I've kind of been rocking with is this late in the season, I don't think Dino Babers would put Schrader at risk of more injuries. So if he's not between 95 and 100% ready to go, Babers isn't going to put him in and, and risk having something even worse happen to him. Um, They've made their goal game. They got where they wanted to go this season. Like, Babers is very much a player's first coach, and he's not going to put Schrader in a position to to harm himself by by pressuring him to go out there or anything like that. I think we will see Schrader warm up for the game again. He warmed up against Pitt and then ultimately didn't play. So that will be a little bit better eye test pregame to see how gimpy he still looks. But not knowing like anything definitively besides he definitively doesn't have a concussion. That's like the one thing that's been crossed off. It, it's so hard to say whether, whether they would play him or not. Cause we just don't know how serious it is. Like he could just have like a, a sprained ankle or he could have like an Achilles tendon injury or something like that. And yeah. we just don't know. So, Well, you guys did see him warm up uh, before last game, as you mentioned, like, did did he seem any close? Like, was he just limping around and, and you know, all that kind of stuff? Or did he seem like, okay, this guy could, could maybe play, but maybe he's limited? Like, what, what did it kind of look like? Yeah, so he, the first thing he did when he came out was he, like, jogged the width of the field and back. And he was moving, but he was very clearly... <laughs> not moving at 100%. Like, he was limping noticeably even from press box level. Um, other than that, though, I mean, like, throwing his stance, like, all of that looks fine. Like, his his upper body mobility isn't limited. He seemed fine kind of moving around, taking snaps from the second string center. 
But I think they rely on him so much to be able to run the ball if something comes up. And he's just a very mobile quarterback that him not having the ability to use his legs would, would kind of hamper his quarterback play. So he looked fine. He was, I would say, a little bit more mobile than we saw him in the Notre Dame game when he only had two carries and then was pulled at halftime, but definitely still not very close to playing next or last week, it seemed like. Um, how, what's it, you know, um, Coach Adam, the Florida State defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller, kind of said, you know, when he watched tape, um, Del Rio Wilson had a similar game to Schrader. So what's the difference in when they get in the game? Or is there any difference? Yeah, they have pretty similar games. Del Rio Wilson is also a dual threat quarterback. The thing is, he's so young, though, and he has so little experience that he just hasn't made a lot of the connections. He needs to run this offense super, super well and, and make it move like the well-oiled machine. We've seen it be with Schrader this season. Uh, he... He, he just doesn't have that experience. And, like, it's fair because Dino Babers has said multiple times that, like, his backup quarterbacks don't get snaps with first team in practice. So, Del Rio Wilson really hadn't been throwing to any of these receivers or handing the ball off to Tucker until last week full-time. We heard that he got all of the snaps leading up to the pit game. But, I mean, he still didn't look great in the pit game. Um, I think once he has a little bit more experience under his belt and maybe – Maybe one game was enough for him. He will look a little bit more like Schrader and be a little bit more comfortable. We saw him run the ball a couple times against Notre Dame. I think he had some adrenaline in him then, so he played a little bit better. But um, we haven't seen we haven't seen a ton yet out of him. Now, an- another one that that people have been talking about, Sean Tucker. You know, I mean, I, this kid is so so talented. Uh, his usage has gone a little bit down in in recent weeks. Is there a reason for that? Do you think maybe he's he's a little bit limited as well? Or does that speak to maybe the flow of the game where maybe they need to throw it out, throw it a little bit more? Yeah, so there's kind of like three things that I think are, are factoring into this. And I wrote a little bit about this earlier this week that um, his, his explosive plays are way down this season as, as they were last season. But I think – most recently, it's it's come down to play calling. I mean, against Clemson, he only had five carries, which was outstandingly low. Every, yeah. Everyone was super shocked. Um, some people were super angry about that, and it, it hasn't really gotten better since then. He had 10 carries for 19 yards against Pitt last week, which was just abysmal, like one of his worst career games ever. Um, so play calling and the scheme they're running definitely comes into it a little bit because there's no reason that he should only be getting five carries. Like his average last season was up between 20 and 25. So like, that's just problem. Number one is that the second thing, which hadn't really been a problem throughout the whole season. Um, I I guess I'll tie these two things together actually is so the O-line last week, they were missing left guard Kalen Ellis. He's ex- it seems like he's expected to be back this week, so that shouldn't be a problem against FSU. But um, his presence, his lack of presence was really felt last week, and so the O-line had some struggles, which is also why I think you saw Del Rio Wilson struggle in the pocket as much as he did. But um, the O-line and the fact that Tucker has been double-teamed all season, like I don't think we've seen a single game where – 
opposing defenses haven't been locked in on Tucker, which understandable, the guy ran all over people last season. Like who wouldn't be watching that film and just focusing on Tucker? So I think those two things tie in a little. And then the third thing to the injury point, there were three times early this season when Tucker went down. He went down in the Louisville game and was out for probably two to three series before halftime and then came back in. He went down again in the Purdue game, I believe, and was out for a series. And then in the Wagner game, he went down on the first drive of the second half, which was the last drive that the starters played, and then obviously didn't play the rest of the game because they were up by 50 points. And so it has kind of been in the back of everyone's mind that he might be dealing with something or might have dealt with something and is now just has like the mental block of, I was injured earlier. I don't want that to happen again because he says he's healthy. Dino Baber says he's healthy. I've talked to people outside of the program that are close to him, like his personal trainer, his dad, they say he's healthy. So it it doesn't seem like it's anything physical necessarily that's lingering anymore, but rather maybe something from earlier in this season that's having like a mental effect still. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned injuries, six and no start, up, I think, what was it, pretty, by double digits on Clemson. And then, since then, it's about that fourth quarter, they outscored, the Tigers outscored you guys 17-0. Since then, you know, it's been three in a row. What, what's gone wrong for Syracuse? Has it been injuries, or has it been other stuff as well? No, you know, honestly, they haven't had a ton of injuries in, in this this little three-game stretch. I mean, they had Garrett, Garrett Williams go down, who's the star cornerback. And he, he didn't even play the Clemson game because he was dealing with a prior minor injury and that he came back for Notre Dame and tore his ACL in that game. So that was a, a devastating loss for them. But otherwise, it's all just been little things as far as I can tell injury-wise, minus Garrett Schrader. Um, so it hasn't really been injuries that's the problem the past three games. It's more just that I think, like, this defense is is getting worn down a little bit. I mean, they didn't face very strong rushing attacks in the first half of the season. And as Dino Babers has said a couple times the past few weeks, like, when you're facing a strong running back, it takes all 11 players on the field to stop them normally. Like, everyone's doing something as opposed to, like, on a pass play, you maybe only have a couple defenders in the secondary involved on that. So... I think it's really just coming down to like a stamina thing. And it doesn't help that Syracuse's offense has not been productive the past three weeks. So we've seen the defense be on the field for significantly more time, more snaps than the offense has. And they're not getting very much of a break. So I, I think that's been a big issue is just the stamina late game. Because we have seen them perform pretty well still in, in the first half. I mean, Syracuse's defense is still the number 15 team in the country in total defense. Like, they're still very good. It's just getting into the these later game scenarios, like end of third quarter, fourth quarter, when they've been on the field for upwards of 40 minutes, that, of course, they're getting tired. And they, they don't have a lot of depth at some of those positions, particularly D-line. So that's kind of been the issue, I think. So when you when you look at just sort of this matchup, Emily, what what are kind of the things that jump out to you I mean, obviously, you just mentioned the run defense has struggled. Florida State's been running the ball like crazy. Um, other than that, I mean, what what are kind of the things that are standing out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, the run game is the big thing. I think Benson is going to be trouble for Syracuse's <laughs> defense. Um, I'm really curious to see, like, Jordan Travis versus the secondary and, and how much he maybe runs since Syracuse has struggled so much with the run game, if, if he kind of goes back to that element of his game, because I know he's strayed a little bit and has, has been more of a pass-heavy quarterback this season. That's one thing I'm definitely interested in. I think seeing some of these key defensive players um, for FSU, like Jared Burst and uh, Jimmy Robinson against a Syracuse offense that is in a weird place right now would be really interesting. But I think really it it just comes down to the run game. Like that's the matchup that everyone up here is focused on is, is seeing if finally after four weeks, Syracuse has figured out something to stop the run because if they haven't, then, this season is done. Everyone's going to turn and go look at basketball and stop watching Syracuse football. <laughs> it usually happens earlier in the season. I mean, that that's happens in like September for Syracuse a lot. And, and recently, you know, uh, you know, Dino had like the 10 win season a few years ago, but you know, he had the one win season, a couple five win seasons, but then, you know, really breaks out this year, six and O. And then as we mentioned, a three game losing skid. So, just wondering like what what the temperature is with Dino right now to do or fans do they still you know love him like they did when he won 10 games and um what sort of I mean this season it was such a success but now that it's kind of crashing a little bit like what does he have to do to kind of end this season in a way that'll keep fans happy yeah I (laughs) I don't know. I don't know totally about the fans. Um, what he'll have to do. I think a bowl win would sedate a lot of people. So if even if they were to like lose out the next two games, beat Boston College, which I feel pretty confident that they can pull off, and then win a bowl game, I think like an eight eight and six season would satisfy people. Um, but yeah, I mean, the past three weeks, people have been back on Babers. They're calling about play calling, and they're upset about Tucker's usage and. They're annoyed that he won't just be transparent about injuries, which I'm annoyed about too, but I mean, it's the name of the game. Um, so yeah, the, the fan temperature is, he's on a lot more, he's on a lot more fiery seat with the fans than he is with the actual school. I mean, even at, heading into this season, the athletic director was like, Dino's not on a hot seat. We're not going to fire him. He has a $10 million buyout. So the school just really doesn't want to pay hot money. And we be- we don't know for sure, but we believe his contract runs through 2024. So that just means two more seasons. And, and like, the big thing is, when you, when you think big picture, like, who wants to come up to this Syracuse team? Like, what coach are you going to come get to fill this that has just as much experience as Dino Babers? Like, sure, it hasn't been the greatest, but... Syracuse football is a hard job to hire for. So I don't think they're planning, like the school is planning on sending him out anytime soon. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to get a contract extension or anything crazy because he got to six wins. But temperature from the school is cold. Fans are are heating up a little bit more. I think if he can get one to two more wins this season, it might cool back down again. But for the time being, fans are getting a little angsty. Yeah, I mean, um, so obviously with a three-five-five schedule, Florida State and Syracuse are, uh, you know, primitive opponents now. That was kind of a little bit of a shock because, you know, um, Florida State and Syracuse 
I think I've looked at it. They played like 14 or 16 times. It's not like a long history between them. So what was was there kind of shock up there that it was Florida State, Syracuse, or permanent opponents moving forward? I think less shock and more excitement. I mean, both the the AD and Babers talked about how, I mean, they're excited to basically get to go down to Florida every single year. It opens up way more recruiting for them because, as we all know, Florida is a much better recruiting ground than central New York is. <laughs> not that there isn't talent up here, but it is not the same as SEC and, and Southern and all of all of those states down there. <laughs> so I think they're looking they're looking forward to being able to go down there every year. I think Syracuse's other two permanent opponents are Boston College and Pitt. So they kind of got those like historic Northeast rival like rivalry games in with those two. So I, I think it it makes sense, honestly, to get kind of like a an odd third opponent in there instead of just keeping it all regional. It adds a little bit of excitement to every season. Well, Emily, uh, instead of giving you one prediction, I'm going to give you two predictions. So oh, wow. <laughs> if Garrett Schrader plays, what happens? And, and, he, and assuming he's healthy, not like a Tyler Van Dyke situation where he comes out and you're thinking, oh, this guy should not be on the field. This is hard to watch. <laughs> Um, so if he plays and he's healthy, what, what's the score? And then if he, uh, doesn't play, what's the score? And then finally, after that, we were talking off the air, you were just watching Black Panther. So we'll also let you review the movie and, you know, zero out of five stars. What do you think? Okay. So I'll start with my prediction of if Carlos Del Rio Wilson plays, because that's pretty much what I already put out in on Syracuse.com. And I predicted that it will be 28-13 Florida State. I think Syracuse will be able to find the end zone in its own house. I think Carlos Del Rio Wilson will be a little bit calmer and be able to execute this offense slightly better. I don't think by any means they're going to win the game if he's in or anything like that. I think, too, Syracuse's defense will be able to hold off Florida State for at least a quarter or two, which will help dampen the score a little bit. Um, still have them winning by double digits. I don't think a lot of people are expecting it to go otherwise. If Garrett Schrader's in, I could see it being more like a like a 28-20 game. I don't think it would be that much of a difference. I think he could find the end zone another time. Um, but I just I, I think it's it's pretty unlikely that he'll play. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it's pretty unlikely that he'll play this game um, or at least play the significant amount of time in it. Like, I could see him coming in for a couple snaps, especially since it's Syracuse's senior night. And he, I, we're unsure if he's going to leave or not, but he could. So um, I could see him coming in for a couple snaps, but I don't think he'll play significant minutes. And as for my Black Panther, Wakanda Forever review, five out of five, fantastic movie, one of the best in the MCU, if not the best. All right. And then before I let you go, every time I think of Garrett Schrader, I think of the helicopter play at Mississippi <laughs> State. Have you, have you ever asked him, has anyone ever, I mean, that's probably three years ago. He's probably sick of hearing about it, but that play, I mean, that is just iconic. I don't think anyone's asked him about it this season. Not that I can remember, but I, I can't, I mean, I can't say if they he got asked about it last season. He gets questions about Mississippi State every once in a while and is usually pretty quick to just be like, yeah, and then move on. So. 
Well, Emily, we really appreciate it. This was great. And uh, see you at Syracuse. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Emily Liker for joining us. Essen, you know, we've been, we've been talking about this for a week or two now, uh, but we we kind of feel like this isn't really like when when we looked at the last five games on Florida State's schedule coming out of the bye. At first, you thought, "Oh, Syracuse is the hardest game left," but really, we think it's Florida now. We we think Syracuse almost is, and and it, there may be a big gap there. I don't know, but 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 what do you think, Essen? How big is that gap? How much better do you think Florida is than Syracuse right now? I mean, yeah, um, we we just saw what Florida did. To, you know, uh, regardless of A and M had like you know twenty players out, it was a forty one twenty four win on the road for a young team. So that was impressive. They're coming off that, and at Syracuse, when we talked about that, when we made the rest of the season post, that was coming off you know um, a game where they battled clubs and clubs. Sure, they blew a fourth quarter lead, but it's hard to win in Death Valley. And at that time, everyone had the perception that Clemson was a playoff team. You know, they were playing that well and. They looked leaps and bounds by everyone. DJ looked like a legit quarterback, and he's been benched twice now since. So, <laughs> um, it's it's amazing. Like that's I guess, and that's we could say Florida's the hardest game left right now. And by then, by next week, we'll be like, oh, you know what? Never mind. Syracuse was because they just kicked Florida State's ass. Like we don't know how football is going to go week to week. You know, that's a crazy thing. Yeah, what's what's weird is like. Did we think Garrett Schrader would be hurt? No. Did we think Sean Tucker would be getting five carries in a game? No. But now that we're seeing that, this Syracuse team is not the team that beat Louisville 31-7 to start the season. They have all the talent in the world. I mean, that defense for much of the season was one of the best defenses in the country. But now you look at them, you know, three before their three-game losing streak, they were the number 11 run defense in the country. Then they gave up 233 rushing yards a game in those three games. And now they're number 62 in, in run defense. They have significantly fallen from where they were offensively as well. They have fallen. Uh, and then you just look at matchups. I mean, we, we talk about, like, last week we, we felt like uh, – Florida State could really throw the ball against Miami because Miami was a, a weak secondary and a good run D. They still had success running the ball. The same thing we said about Clemson. They have a great run defense. Florida State was able to run the ball. Like they, There's not been a single team this year that has stuffed the run really for Florida State outside of maybe, maybe LSU. They've really found the rhythm. Four straight games at 200 yards rushing, and then they're going up against a Syracuse defense that's been pretty pretty bad against the run lately. I just feel like that's the matchup that you, you got to watch. Even if they don't have Trayshawn Ward, they're just running the crap out of the ball. And for a, a defense that is, is not playing very well and, and an offense that's putting their defense on the field a lot, Syracuse, obviously, that'll be the main matchup to watch. Yeah. Just looking it up, I think the last time Florida State struggled again with running the ball was against Wake Forest. They had 112 yards and 28 attempts. Ever since then, even NC State was pretty strong, um, and that was aided by Jordan Travis being around the ball um, less so than the rest of the run team. Run, you know, that second half was just so awful. 
you know, against NC State. We won't talk about it. Yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> well, what, <laughs> what's funny is, like, I, I've been thinking about this all week of, and, and people might think I'm crazy, but, like, if Florida State restarted the season today and they played all 12 of their games from here on out, this might be an 11-1 team right now. I mean, maybe 10-2, but, I mean, they're not losing to NC State. Um, they're playing significantly better than Wake Forest right now. Clemson I would say 10-2. Is- 10 and two because I still think I still think Clemson's a better team, and I think yeah. we now we know that LSU is a you know LSU is probably an, an SEC champ win away SEC championship win away from being the uh, in the national championship game. So yeah, yeah, no, I I think you're you're right. LSU, if they play Florida State right now, I think LSU wins. Clemson. I think Clemson wins. The only thing is, it's like this quarterback situation for them. I feel like is really starting to crumble. I think DJ is is finally showing the the cracks that we thought were in him. Now, uh, ten and two though, that's borderline top ten level right there. Like I think this team, with how well they're playing offensively, they're top fifteen. I'm not going to say top 10, but I think they're playing like a top 15 team right now. Uh, what, yeah, think, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's 100% fair. Obviously, and we've talked about this, as you know, like, if you win one, like, you know, if you win the NC State game, does not mean the next game translates, you know, like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's people like to think it's linear, like, you know, if you if this happened, then this happens. Like, that's not how the world works, you know. Yeah, it's true. Um, but your point is right. You know, they probably you know if you, they are if you put this iteration of the Florida State team to the game of the season, give let, let them start with the experience they have, the talent they have, um, and come um, injury free and pretty injury free. I'd say not you know injury free, but you know you start over. Yeah, this is a contender. This is um, this team has a chance to go to the ACC championship game. It's just it's crazy to think about. I mean, no one really would have expected this. I mean, we've been saying all preseason that this team was way better than they were. Like we de- we definitely saw it, and I think some people were hesitant to say that because this fan base has been burned enough. They they don't want the hype for a team that's going to win seven games. But you know, we saw it. We saw Jordan Travis really take a step forward. We saw the receivers look better. I mean, there was not a bigger fan of Trey Benson than me in the preseason. I, I was all over this guy and Johnny Wilson. I was just like, these guys are freaking unreal. And Jared Verse was like that too. Um, so it's it's I have felt good about seeing those, those players. I'm like, okay, I guess I can uh, see players on the practice field and, and know how it's going to translate to a game. But I think a lot of people did too, but – Certainly, like, a lot of the stuff we saw in practice translated to this season. While it's a big surprise, somewhat, like, how good they are, I think the individual players you've seen pop are not as surprising. And with the context we've seen, like, we can kind of understand why this team is playing at this level. I mean, just think about this, Carter. Um, Against Miami, and granted, it's because they didn't pass the ball much, but how many times did we hear Ja'Kai Douglas's name? How many times did we hear Micah Pittman's name? And they scored 45 points. 
you know? Yeah. Um, Duke Span, we haven't heard his name in a while, but we see him pop in practice every week. Cantron Potier, same thing, you know? This team is... Re- the talent on this team is ridiculous right now, like, especially in the wide receiver group. Uh, Treshawn Moore hasn't played in three straight games, and we've talked about three of the four. They've got uh, all, they've got four straight with over 200 yards. Three without him. Just, yeah. It's ridiculous. And one of them was Clemson. Yeah. And... and- Really, the, the two things holding back this team, I think, well, three things. I'd say it was uh, health. I mean, this team was, was injured all over, especially on, on the defense. Two, just self-inflicted errors, you know, red zone, turnovers, things like that. And then three, uh, the defense is still not where you'd want it to be talent-wise, like maybe at certain spots, like cornerback, um, and, and that would show up at times. But um, overall, I mean, you see them starting to overcome a lot of those things. Now, the defense I still have questions with because, like, I'm not going to see what they did against Georgia Tech and Miami and just proclaim them as, like, you know, revolutionized and, and – way better like okay let's see how they do against Anthony Richardson and if Garrett Schrader plays Syracuse but the offense I think has figured it out even Carlos Del Rio Wilson because last week and some of it was doing garbage time but Jakari Brown racked up 66 yard rushing and I think it was like closer to 70 um up upper 70s late 80s if you take out the sacks which there were a few of them so it's not like they've solved the problem of we could guard the um, running quarterback they yeah. still have that issue with that. So whether it's Wilson, whether it's Raider, that's a challenge this week is containing the running quarterback because we've seen it all year. They cannot they struggle with that. And when they struggle with that, and that's part of the reason, you know, um, maybe why DJ had more success is because he was able to run the ball against Florida State, which opens up the pass game because it put you can't have the safety help, you know, on the receiver. Right. So you have to pull them up. And that opens up the running game for the opponents as well, which Miami and Georgia Tech have not had. So Absolutely. And and yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one of the last challenges for this team the regular season. They end up with Louisiana at home after this next Saturday. Then they'll have a Black Friday matchup against Florida, and it's hard not to look at that Florida game. We, we mentioned it. Uh, Anthony Richardson comes to town. Been a weird year for the Gators. Uh, you know, you start off and you're like, wow, this team is really good, and Anthony Richardson is – is you know unstoppable and then it's like oh wow um he really needs to develop as a passer and this team has got a lot of issues um but then you see the flashes i mean you saw certain moments certain moments against georgia you saw certain moments against tennessee this team has the ability and we've always talked about how in a rivalry game and with anthony richardson he's such a little he's such a like little x factor to what could happen you just never know when he's going to go off so it's an interesting game to think about I don't think it's a gimme by any means and I think that's why we talk about how that's the hardest game left for them yeah I mean um you know we talk about Anthony Richardson if you look at his overall numbers nine touchdowns seven exceptions 55 percent um, completion percentage but then you go through the last three games you know 185 yards touchdown um, pass and then 109 yards another touchdown against LSU, 
Um, against Georgia, 271 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He didn't run the ball as well. But um, then against AM last week, seven rushes, 78 yards, touchdown, and um, 21 yards passing and two touchdowns. So over the past couple of weeks, he's gone four touchdowns, no interceptions. So like you said, he's starting. it looks like he's starting to figure it out, the flashes. And then you add in the running threat, you add in, like, you know, um, um, you know, Travis Etienne, Trevor Etienne, sorry. Get the brothers mixed up all the time. Is looking at the real running back. So Florida's going to provide some challenges. Obviously, Florida State's going to be able to throw the ball, run the ball over, whatever they want. Especially, you know, Florida State's game plan should be good at third and long because it's Florida's defense. You, normally against a team, you want to be third and short. But against Florida, you're like, third and long? Yeah, sure. We could beat you. We can, we can still score <laughs> in this play. Yeah, I mean, I look at that game and, uh, I mean, I joked. I tweeted out, like, oh, like when A&M was, run, like, getting 24 points in one half with their third team offense. I'm just like, yeah, Florida State's going to score 50 on this team. And then what yes, is- whatever the whatever the over-under is, bet the over because Florida State will do it by themselves. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, you know, of course, a bunch of Gators fans, uh, they didn't really understand the sarcasm in my tweet. And, and now they're all like, we're bookmarking this. We're saving this. So now I know if they score 49 points – I'm going to have a bunch of Gator fans in my mentions. Uh, But um, anyway, it's such a huge game in the sense that, like, assuming Florida State wins uh, on Saturday against Syracuse, against Louisiana, this is your chance to not just sweep Miami and Florida, but you can still get to 10 wins this season, which – I mean, after that three-game losing streak, that was, like, I remember ESPN gave them, like, an 11% chance to win out. And now they have have a chance. Like, it's very conceivable. They're going to be favored in every game they have left this regular season. What do you think, S, and that kind of win, what would that mean for for Florida State? It's, um, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, a few times. Florida State is still lagging in recruiting. Um, the for whatever reason, Miami and Florida have not had as much success in the field. It's first year coaches, granted, you know, but that's also another point. This is Norvell's third year, and he's not recruiting at the high level that you would expect at Florida State. So there's questions about that, you know. The when Kearney flipping to Florida was a huge loss for the class. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, Florida State just beat Miami. In Miami, getting Hakeem Williams, you know, from the Miami area is huge. But for, we have not seen anything come out of the floor, uh, Miami one yet, which is just odd. You know, like, we talk about that, you know. In fact, had tip to Mike Narvell for helping Florida this week. Um, <laughs> Jaden Rashada just, um, you know, flipped to Florida. So that probably has something, you know, he's he's saying it's because of comfort with um, Billy Napier. But the timing is just kind of funny as well, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is something that I mean, Mike Norvell had a two year head start on the current coaches at Miami and Florida, and he's has a team that's way better than those teams right now, at least at least so far, and he hasn't been able to take advantage of that in a like big picture meaningful like maybe one isolated recruitment, Hakeem Williams, but. How about an entire class? Because the, right now, as it currently stands, they're not going to be a top 15 class 
and that should never happen at Florida State. And they haven't had a top 15 class in his three cycles that, that he's been here. And, I mean, that is a major problem. Like, we cannot minimize that. People say, oh, well, he's really good in the transfer portal. Absolutely. But you still got to have a good pipeline of high school recruits. And if you let Miami and Florida get get a top 10 class every year and your class is like 22nd, they will eventually pass you. It, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because that's just talent on talent. No, like to your point, right now, um, you know, um, 24-7 ratings, Florida jumped us 8, Miami's at 9, Florida State's at 18, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, that's a huge talent gap, you know, and people talk about, like, you know, developing this guy, developing this guy, you know. Um, Norvell's good at developing players. We've seen that, you know. Yeah. But... Look at the championship teams. Look at the blue blue chip prospect ratio on the championship teams. Florida State is not aspiring to be a number 18 team, a number 15 team, a number 10 team. They want to be a top five team, a top three team. They want to win that national championship. It's been almost a decade since the last championship. That's what Florida State is known for. That's what people know Florida State for. So they be um, recruiting at it, you know, in the mid um, in the mid teens is not Florida State in the low teens. I say actually. Florida State should be doing better, and as Miami and Florida do more, you can't depend on the transport. Like we talked about this the other day at practice, is um, the attrition rate, the hit rate at the transport of Florida State is due for regression. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been incredible, and and credit to them for hitting on so many guys they've gotten in the transfer portal. But you're right. I mean, you look at Michigan State this year; they hit on everybody last cycle and you saw Kenneth Walker and all those guys have a season uh, to remember there. Now they're awful. And like, you cannot expect that to hit every year. And I think comparing Norvell to Mario Cristobal is just such a fascinating thought experience because they're very total opposite as coaches. Mike Norvell, great developer, great in-game coach for the most part, you know, his staff isn't recruiting well. Mario Cristobal, terrible in-game coach. I don't know if he's a great developer, but his staff sure can recruit. So it's almost like talent versus development and in-game coaching versus just like having the talent. We're going to find the answer out. I think Norvell can make it easier on himself by just closing that gap on the high school recruiting trail a little bit. But if not, that's a question that will be answered in the years to come. And another point that you know you just brought up the difference is how many times have we heard Billy Napier, how many times have we heard Mike Novell after a game say, That's on me. That's that loss is on me. Um, Mario Cristobal has thrown his players on the bus every single time they've lost. I mean yeah. he had a little different tone up the Florida State community, but he pointed out the coaching. But also I didn't seem like he pointed himself, he said the coaching, you know, it's kind of like, you know, coaching yeah no I mean he's talked about how this is a rebuild you know he he talked about how oh Trey Benson like you saw that guy we had him in Oregon that's the kind of guy we're going to get here which you know insinuates that they don't have a guy like that yet like he just constantly says stuff that alludes to to being a a slight to his players and and Mullen (laughs) (laughs) 
It's it's not a good thing you want to do. I, I don't think Norvell ever did it, at least to that degree, when he easily could have at Florida State, and that that's that says a lot about him early on because he really could have. I mean, what he inherited was a was a mess. But I mean, regardless of where Florida is now um, compared to where Florida, you know, Florida, no matter what the situation was, even if Florida and Florida State were similar, like you know, rebuilds, they're not. Florida State was further behind. Um, but also you look at the timing when Norvell started, it's 2020. Yeah. That's a tough season to start. You can't recruit because you can recruit, but you can't go out and, um, you know, go to players' games and introduce yourself and talk to them. You can't get in touch with families as easily because of that. Players can't come to games. That's why it's, you know, like a lot of people count that season against them. This is Norvell's technically a second year, I would say, because the first year is so hard to count against them, especially if you're recruiting because – as a first-year coach, how do you go out and recruit when you don't have relationships already? This guy's not from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, just looking at this offseason, I think it's going to be huge. Because, like, last offseason what happened was Mike Norvell said, all right, I think that was the first step where he said, we need to freaking figure it out on the recruiting trail. He, he went out and expanded his support staff by a million. He got Derek Ray – tried to organize the recruiting operation a lot more. You've seen it have some some growth. And in the 2024 class, they're absolutely killing it. Uh, but yeah, this offseason... Right they're number four right now with six commits, one five-star, three four-stars, two three-stars. When I'm talking about blue-chip prospects, that's what I'm talking about. That's where they need to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this offseason, it's so huge because some hard decisions may need to be made as far as like, I think when you look at the coaches who are like, they, they recruit and coach at a very high level. Alex Atkins is number one. I think you throw the biggest bag you, you can imagine at him because not only has he been exceptional for this offense and this offensive line, but on the recruiting trail, there's no one better than him on this coaching staff. And and he's being considered for head coaching jobs. So you throw a bag at him. Um, I think the the recruiting on the trenches has been awesome. I think running back recruiting has been pretty good. Uh, wide receiving re- recruiting. I think after getting Johnny Wilson and Hakeem Williams, you've you've bought yourself some goodwill there. It had really been bad for multiple years, but now you've you've bought some goodwill. Uh, one thing to mention, November 11th, there is still not a quarterback committed in this class to Florida State. Uh, there's also some issues, defensive back recruiting. Uh, and I think there's some spotty recruiting at, at, at elsewhere and, and tight end certainly as well. But, you know, think, this, uh, is a, this is an offseason where Norvell, now that he has success – he has the ability to make certain decisions, whether it's moving somebody to an off-the-field role or, you know, adding more support staffers or or just holding his assistants more accountable to maybe their recruiting failures. Um, you know, when you're five and seven, you can't really do that, but now you can. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, um, one thing that would be interesting is, you know um, – USF just fired their coach. Obviously, we, you know, um, not much connection to Florida, but I mean Florida State. But that could be an interesting hire. Bringing Miles as an analyst, 
kind of do the Nick Saban thing and, you know, get him on here, get him on the staff and help that recruiting. I mean, USF is not great at recruiting, but it's a household. He's a Florida person. He knows the area. So kind of start doing with that, you know, like the Nick Saban model of, you know, hiring ex-coaches and getting him on, on as an analyst and kind of just building that as well. Could be interesting. Yeah, Jeff Scott, I he'd be an incredible addition to this staff. Can recruit really well. Uh, got ties to Florida. And that was one of the big problems with this coaching staff is they didn't really have ties to Florida. And that's why you saw the recruiting not take off in the first couple of years. So add some more guys like that that can help out in that regard. And I think they're doing a better job now in the state of Florida. And the more they win, that's always going to help as well. They sweep the state of Florida this year. I mean, that 24 class could be the breakthrough class for them. It looks like it will be. I mean, Luke Cromanoke and, and, you know, and the running back they got committed, unbelievable talents. Um, I, re- I really feel like that will probably be the breakthrough class for them. They just have to finish and close on those top guys and, and hold on to some of the top guys. But I, I do think they're – they are turning the right direction. It's just an offseason where it's like, okay, now you can make decisions. Now you can throw a bag at Alex Atkins. So it's going to be interesting. Well, definitely. And so um, one thing I just looked up as well is um, we already know how great Alex Atkins can um, you know, recruit. That's been documented. Um, according to um, 24-7 ACC rankings for um, composite coach rankings, um, JP is fourth and Ron Dugans is fifth this year in the ACC in recruiting. Yep, and Ron Dugans is fifth because of hiking Williams. <laughs> right, right. But and you know what? That's that that's enough. You know, you get. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you want more than one, but one five star per class. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But what I also will say, that Vendrevius Jacobs kid they've got committed, he is an incredible talent. He's a three star recruit. I think he should be a four star. It's so funny. Anytime I talk to the guys at Knowles two four seven, they're like, yeah it's like embarrassing that he's not a four star. Like he should be a four star. Um, he is a exceptional talent. Um, so I, I think they did an exceptional job recruiting receivers, this class. Um, and, and most of the receivers realistically, you know, are going to be back. I think you talked to a draft analyst last week. Johnny Wilson will, should probably come back. Micah Pittman should come back. Um, you lose Ontario Wilson because, you know, he's played, he's been here for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you get Ja'Kai Douglas back. Um, you know, Winston Wright tweeted recently that he plans on coming back. Yeah. That's a loaded room. Like, Heike Williams, you will find him on the field. You will find a way to get him on the field because he's a generational talent as well. But there's a realistic chance of, like, you know, he might be a, um, a redshirt candidate. I don't see that happening. I don't think so. But I will but, say... I think this is a better receiving core next year. The only problem is who's our quarterback going to be? Because we'll see what Jordan Travis decides to do. Um, yeah, he was an interesting cancer a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, when he was talking about the, how um, following the coming off the bye week, asking like, you know, um, how do you how do you go for the past few games? And he said, you know, this could be the last game for a bunch of players. And the way he said it was like, oh. A yeah. bunch of play, you know, a bunch of players. He didn't say he, it. Didn't sound like he was including himself in that list, but you never know because, as you mentioned yeah. before, he's already mentioned he, his intent to leave. 
before. Yeah. So. yeah, and it's like we're probably going to start asking him here soon what he plans to do. Don't want to ask him that with six games left in the season, but but now we're now that we're getting to the end, we we will ask it soon. I mean, we're getting him out to the Florida game. Like, where are you going, bud? Where are you going, man? What are you doing? <laughs> so what's the plan? Uh, no, it, it's and if if he does leave. Think about how attractive this team will be to somebody in the transfer portal. Tyler Van Dyke. <clears throat> uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, <laughs> we'll see uh, FSU fans feel about that one. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I um, really though. I mean, with these receivers, with this offense, especially if you can convince Alex Atkins to come back, you'd think this would be one of the top transfer destinations for a guy. Uh, but. But let's let's move on. Let, let's first give our predictions, and then we're going to move on and talk a little bit about basketball and soccer. So, real quick, Essen, give me give me your score prediction for this one. Yeah, so I'll say Florida State thirty-eight, Syracuse twenty-four. Okay, I've got Florida State thirty-four, Syracuse twenty. Kind of hedging a little bit because I think if Garrett Schrader doesn't play, I think it's a bloodbath just to be honest. And I think Florida State is, I mean, they could get in the 40s. I just think their offense is clicking right now. Yeah, the 38 is a um, where I feel good about the prediction. Um, the 24 is kind of like if Schrader plays and it's kind of hedging it. Otherwise, I could see 38-30 easily. Um, you know, 40, 45-30. Yeah, yeah. Random score. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that score before. <laughs> One thing I want to add about this game is I thought, you know, this is a chance kind of a, re- a do-over for the NC State game in a lot of ways because NC State is an environment they struggled in. Syracuse is an environment they've had some trouble in the past. Um, they're 5-2 five, five and two over there, but they've had some trouble in the past. It's a tough place to play. It's a tough road environment. So that can make it interesting to see, like, you know, are they? that's the next step for them, right? I think you would agree with that. That's the next step for Florida State is winning that road game in a tough environment, which they yeah. have not done yet. Yeah, like they won at Louisville, but um, and they won at LSU, but those were some weird games. Louisville was always a mess at that point. LSU wasn't who they were supposed to be. I mean, Syracuse, you could argue the same thing, but they've been pretty dang good at home this year. So I do agree. Um, l- let's move on to basketball real quick. Uh, man, I don't know, Essen. I don't know how much we'll even talk about men's basketball this year on this podcast because they may not give us much to talk about. That was... I don't know what you're talking about. They gave us a lot to talk about, Carter. <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, for now, they did. That, that was one of the worst college basketball performances I've seen in a while from a, from a team of, of supposedly that caliber. Uh, to lose to Stetson, a team that has not finished above 500 in a season... Since 2001, uh, <laughs> and they were picked to finish second to last in the A-Sun Conference this year. You know, Florida State, they, they couldn't defend the perimeter. They had some guy who looked like a high schooler, you know, hitting threes left and right. And, as the coach said. Yeah, and they couldn't defend. I'm like, I'm looking at this roster. I'm like, okay, how many players above like 6'7 do they have? There was like two of them. And they were rebounding exceptionally well and getting a lot of second chance points uh on the offensive glass i mean it just they looked like a team that didn't have experience uh or leadership uh 
they had eight available players and they were still kind of using that switch one through five hustle, like, you know, just super demanding style of play. Uh, you begin to wonder, like, how, how much are they going to do that? When the Hema clouds in the game, are they going to switch one through five? And I think Coach Leonard Hamilton alluded that, yeah, they may, they may back off that a little bit. A little bit but he played oof. eight minutes in the first half, two minutes in the second half. At, with how little depth this team has, you, can, you cannot get away with that. No, and, I mean, man, he, he also, I mean, Nahima Cloud is not a player with built to switch one through five on the, on the perimeter. They really, they, they really attack him in those situations when they do happen. Um, they've got a couple freshmen on this team that have, have caught my attention. I, I like what I see from Cameron Corin. I like what I see from Tom house. And soon you might get a guy like Chandler Jackson back. And I like Boba Miller from what I've seen from him. So I think when you get those two guys back, this is a team that will get better through the season, but like they've got a lot of challenges early on, and it could get ugly if they don't figure it out. Because you think about all these big games they have: Florida coming to town next week. They got Purdue. They've got a tournament. They've got four conference games, including Duke and Virginia, in December. Like they better get it figured out quick, or you might you might be in January and you're you know. Five and ten, or something. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. They definitely got you know, like you mentioned they got to get it fixed and to get it turned around. Um, number one is they got to defend. Number two, um, Coach Hamilton loses this is you know the effort on the rebounds is crucial. How many times have we seen them? Um, I can't. I don't have the stats in front of me, but the offensive uh, rebounds that they had were just like you know back breaking um, and were a difference in the game really. Yeah, it was the effort was kind of stunning, but um, I think the good news for Florida State it can't get worse than that, and I think they again they can get better. Uh, I think Hamilton thinks a lot of these problems are fixable. Um, it's just the fact that this is such a front loaded schedule can make this a costly affair. You know these these mistakes early on can cost you. Uh, now, now, real quick, women's basketball. Tanaya Latson, I mean, my goodness, unreal. <laughs> she is a you know um, five star for a reason. She is watching her. You know, we got to watch. I got to watch her in the opener. Um, you didn't get to watch it because you were at um, Norvell's press conference. But um, man, she can like you know like her high school coach described. She can contort her body, get to the rim. Make some crazy moves and then great passer, you know. Um, and she mentioned, you know, um, I asked her post game, I'm like, you know, when did you feel comfortable? She's like, about the end of the first quarter, because it was her first college game. She's finished 28 points, guys. Unbelievable. And, and then 34 against Kent State in like 31 minutes or something, because she fouled out oh, with like five minutes left. She fouled out with 430 left, but she had 34 points. So just think about that. She. Um, Florida State's um, school record for points is 40 by Natasha Howard. She was probably going to break that. Natasha she, Howard, you know, yeah. is, um, you know, at, at, in WNBA, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But She definitely would have beaten it. Like, she was scoring at will in that in that second half. And, 
And it's it's not like she's just hitting a bunch of threes. I think she had four threes, but she's she's doing everything. She's getting to the cup. The rim. She got hit. Like, you know, she had a couple and ones in the fourth quarter. Um, she had a couple plays in the first half where she just, um, you know, showed what she did in high school. Just picked the ball off, picked someone's pocket, took it to the hole with no um, with, with relative ease. It was fun to watch. She's so quick, so instinctual, so athletic. You wondered, okay, we – We've seen it against these trash teams, but how will it translate? And and Kent State was a team that won a game at the WNIT last year. They're, they're no scrubs. They they can they brought back pretty much all their contributors, and uh, yeah, re- really impressive. Now now to, to wrap things up, soccer Essen, tell us uh, the latest update. We got Florida Gulf Coast Dunk Dunk City coming to or Lob City, whatever we call it, coming to town. Uh, I guess they don't really do that in soccer, but uh, well, I mean, what you can. You just get a penalty call on you, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Florida State, Florida Gulf Coast at five tonight. First round, um, Florida State. As Brian Penske told me the other day, is um, if they don't win a championship, you wouldn't call the season un- unsuccessful, but it would be a disappointment. Good stuff. Well, Asin, that's all we got today. So, uh, guys, appreciate y'all for listening.